You know, when I was uh, a little kid, one of my favorite hymns, you, uh, church was, it, it, the culture of church was somewhat different back in the 70s. And um, today, our, you know, everybody's main service is Sunday morning. But back when I was a little kid, Sunday night was the time you went to church. Does anybody remember those days? I mean, Sunday mornings were good, but Sunday night, everybody came out and there was no schedule and you weren't worried about anything. And man, I mean, that's when you flat out had church. Does anybody remember what Sunday nights used to be like? And I can remember as a little kid, uh, I, I used to play the drums. I was the drummer at the church from the time I was in the fifth grade and on. And I can remember I used to love to, whenever they'd say, let's sing victory in Jesus. Man, I mean, I knew I was going to get to do some double beats and I was going to do some rolls on the toms. I was going hit to hit the cymbals and people were going to shout. And there was a lady that used to play the piano. And I knew if, if we sang it long enough, she was probably going to get up and kick that bench and it was going to go and she was going to go. And I mean, it just used to be a fun time, you know. Racetrack assembly is what we, what we had at Victory in Jesus and then victory, yes, victory. How many of y'all remember that one? Hallelujah, I am free. Jesus gives me victory. Glory, glory, hallelujah. He is all in all. You remember that one? Some of y'all getting happy on me already. I haven't got into the word yet. Just singing hymns. Just talking hymns and you're getting excited. You say, well, I don't, I don't go in for all that. That sounds like a lot of emotionalism to me. And there was some. I'll promise you there was some. There was some, but there was some real in the middle of all that too. I mean, you could tell there was a few that might just be showing out, but there was some folks that their eyes were squinted and the tears were going and they were shouting and running and not running into anything, not tripping on anything. Have you ever tried to run with your eyes shut? Just run, just run at a day. I've seen it happen. People just take off running, eyes closed, didn't, I'm like, they're going to hit something, they're going to bounce, and they never would. they just keep right on going. People would be... Uh, falling out in the spirit, the Holy Ghost would get on folks, they'd fall out, and somebody would be standing there saying, oh, Lord, you better call 911. That, that, we didn't have 911 back then. You better call the ambulance, though, because they fall and they'd hit their head on a pew on the way down. Did you ever see that? Just bounce their head off a pew and hit the ground. Everybody's like, oh, no, they're unconscious. They're drunk. Person would get up and you say, you got a headache? No, I feel great, man. That, that's the best I've felt, and I don't know when. It's just, uh, you know, we didn't even have catchers back then. Now, now, in, uh, now you have to have catchers in real revivals. They have guys that walk around and catch folks make sure they lay them down like a feather. But back then, the Holy Ghost used to lay them down like a feather. Does anybody remember that? I mean, people used to just fall out and down they'd go, and we just we wouldn't even gather around them. Somebody just grab something and throw it over them, and we just keep on going. You say, throw it over them like they was dead or something? No, they just, they just covered them up. So they just let them lay, lay them lay there and waller around. As long as they's covered up, they could waller around, lay there, do crawl up under the seats, whatever they want to do. Some of y'all never been to church like that? How many of y'all ever been to church like that? I like that kind of church sometimes, don't you? I like to celebrate. You know, the old, sometimes them old hymns is what kicked that off. And it wasn't the emotionalism. It wasn't that we were trying to be emotional. But when people got to thinking about victory, yes, victory, victory in Jesus, I mean, you had a hard time not getting excited. It's nice to know. It's just an awesome feeling to know that no matter what is going on in our lives or what comes against us or what the doctor said or what the bill said or what the job said, that we still win. And sometimes that gets in your spirit when you get with a group of other people and you start worshiping God and the song gets just right and somebody says victory in Jesus he's my savior forever I don't care what the doctor said he sought me Jesus sought me and bought me and with his eternal you know he's all these good things 
I ain't going to get into all of it because y'all, y'all starting to go to sleep on me. Victory. We have victory in Jesus. And every once in a while, we just need to back down a minute and celebrate the victory that we have in Jesus. How many of y'all remember a message a couple of weeks ago that I preached? And I, I, you know, I didn't even realize I was going to be preaching to myself that day, but I preached a message and I prophesied. I said, somebody's going to need that this week, long about Thursday or Friday. Anyway, I preached a message and I talked about where we were going into a battle. You remember that? I said, now, here's how this is going to work. You're going to have to, it was scriptural. I gave you the points. We're going to go into the battle. When we get into the battle, we're going to have to approach and face up to the enemy. You remember that? And then I said, we're going to have to take our stand. Remember? And then I said, we're going to have to keep our eyes open and watch so we can see the salvation of the Lord. And then I said, in the midst of that, remember, always remember and trust the words of the prophet. Anybody remember? How far have we come in the last couple of weeks? How far have we come in the last couple of weeks with that being our passage that we've held on to? How many of you this last couple of, just in the last two to three weeks, have found yourself in the middle of that message? Huh? How many of you have found that word to be true, that there is still victory in Jesus, that he still wins? You know what I love about being a Christian? I always, you know, I always used to, I always used to be so proud that my dad was my dad because he was so big. And anywhere we would go, I would, if I ever got lost, all I had to do is back up, climb up on something, and I would just look, and whoever was the tallest, I knew that was him. I'd get lost in the store. I'd just climb up on something and I'd see him and I'd know that was him. I always knew how to get to him. I was always proud. And when kids got to talking to school about my dad's the biggest, I'm like, oh, no, he's not. No, he ain't either. My dad's the strongest. No, he might be the prettiest, but, but, he's, but your daddy is definitely not the biggest and the strongest. What I love about serving my God is that no matter what battle I find myself in, I always can get up behind him at some point and look out from around him and taunt the devil and say, my daddy's bigger than you. He's stronger. He's faster. He's smarter. And he's not going to win. He already has. You're just too dumb to know it. I love serving this God. I love the French benefits. I love the insurance package that goes with being a believer. I don't mind the premiums at all. And every day I get up and no matter what somebody says or does, I'm not worried about it because my father, which art in heaven whom I am praying that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is working in my life, and I win. I'm celebrating victories today. Some of you have been told that you were real sick. Some of you have been told that you were real broke. Some of you have been told you was real ugly. But it don't matter what anybody said to you, there's a Father in heaven that made you and loves you just like you are, and in him you are more than a conqueror. Romans 8.37 says, The one who loves us gives us an overwhelming victory in all of these difficulties. Is there anybody here with a difficulty going on in your life right now? Anybody got a difficulty? Any difficulties? This is your verse. If you got a difficulty, raise your hand. You got a difficulty going in your life, but are you a believer? You love Jesus? Hold your hand up. Listen, this is your verse. 
The one who loves us, who is that? That's our Father. Gives us, who's that? You. An overwhelming victory in all these difficulties. Now, if we stopped right there, that'd be enough, wouldn't it? If we stopped right there, that'd be enough for you to walk away and say, I am victorious. I am reminded again of the goodness of God and the victory that I have in him. You know, many of us have been in a battle. We've been in battles in lots of ways. We've been in battle as individuals. We've been in battle as a, as a corporate group. And it's not ever going to end, folks, until Satan is thrown into hell. But I'm going to tell you something. God continues to give us reminders every week and every day in our life. He gives us reminders of his power. He always reminds us in, in, in all of our battles that we fight that the people that we are in battle with are not our enemy. The force that's pushing them is. And I love the fact that God has, has whipped the devil again and again and again and allowed us to watch it with our own eyes. I want to slow down for a minute today and give God glory. I want to slow down for a minute and congratulate you and applaud you and celebrate with you because you have been through battles and God has won them through you. And today we're going to stop and give God praise and we're just going to stop and slap each other on the back and commend each other for a job well done. I, you know, I, I want to speak for just a second about, about the repeal 119. I know there's a lot of folks that are upset about how that went, but I want to thank the voters and the workers and the, and the prayer warriors and the givers who teamed up in unity and, and did what was right for the sake of our city. And I was, I was, you know, I can't say enough about that. I, I, you know, I, in no way was I ever angry with people or was I ever against a group of people. In fact, just in this city alone, uh, I, I know it's controversial, but just in this city alone, I have encountered a lot of people in businesses that are already working that are, that are not being discriminated against. I encountered several of them just this week in businesses in Fayetteville who were from the LGBT community. You know what? I didn't have a problem with them at all. I, I actually enjoyed, in a lot of places, I enjoyed visiting with them. I enjoyed interacting with them. This is not against any group of people. This is not about those people. This, this, this has never been about us being against or hating or not wanting someone to be treated correctly. I want everybody to be treated correctly. I think everybody should be treated fairly. It was not a civil rights issue, but I do think that it was something that, that everybody deserves to, to be protected and not be afraid to go out of their house. However, I don't think that was already happening in Fayetteville. This was just legislation. It was brought in from another place with a lot of big money behind it to try to sway the minds of what they thought were gullible and stupid conservative Southerners. And they spent $800,000 of God's money and got beat. The people that they said they were representing didn't get beaten. They weren't the problem. They're just lost and broken and need us to love them and need us now to rally beside them and come along them and love them and welcome them into our fellowship. That's what they need. That's what we want. Now, they don't feel that way today. They think that we're militant and angry and mean, but that is not the truth at all. And we now need to reach our arms around them and love them and, and bring them in. I was, I was so encouraged 
by a testimony that was given in our church on a Wednesday night a couple of weeks ago from an individual, and I don't see him here today. I wouldn't embarrass him for anything in the world because I'm so proud of him. But he, he, in fact, he gave his testimony in our Wednesday night Bible study and said, Pastor, I just want to give praise to the Lord because he said, for 43 years I have lived as a homosexual. And he said, within the last month, God has saved me, and this is my church, and I'm going down here to the prayer center, and I'm going to, to uh, New Heights, and between the two churches, I've met, made a lot of friends. And he said, I'm asking God to rewire my brain. But he said, I'm just getting in the word and I'm loving Jesus. And I thanked him. I said, I want to stop and thank you for giving that testimony. And we're with you. We're with you. So we're celebrating a victory today, not over a group of people who today are very sad and perhaps even angry at the results. We're not celebrating a victory over them. We're celebrating a victory over the devil who's trying to destroy and kill them in the process. I'm glad the devil's getting whipped again. And I'm celebrating a victory over the devil, not over the people. I was looking at some verses of scripture this week that talk about what a victorious child of God will look like to the world. I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 today, and I want, you, I want to show you a couple of verses of Scripture there, starting in verse 11. I think this is very important. What Paul is saying, we need to remember, we need to restate. When Paul said to the church of Corinthians, he's saying it to our church today, I don't want Satan to outwit us. After all, we're not ignorant about Satan's scheming. Look on to verse 14. But I thank God who always leads us in victory because of Christ. And wherever we go, God uses us to make clear what it means to know Christ. It's like a fragrance that fills the air. To God, we are the aroma of Christ among those who are saved and among those who are dying. And to some people, we're a deadly fragrance, while to other, we're a life-giving fragrance. Who is qualified to tell about Christ? At least we don't go around selling an impure word of God like many others. The opposite is true. As Christ's spokesman and in God's presence, we speak the pure message that comes from God. Now, according to these verses of Scripture, there's at least three ways that the world should easily be able to recognize a real victorious believer whose victory is in Jesus. And I want to take the next few minutes and spell those out for you. I want you to get your pen, write this down. The first one is found in verse 14. If you're truly a victorious believer, it will be, number one, clear to all. Look at verse 14. Clear to all. What does it mean to know Christ? It means that we will be different in our actions and in our words and in our thoughts and in our lifestyles from the world. We can't be like the world and be victorious in Jesus at the same time. You just can't. You can't be like the world and be victorious in Jesus at the same time. That's why some of you struggle so much because you deal with, with particular habits and actions in your life that keep popping up and you keep falling back. You feel like you're taking one step forward, two steps backward, and you don't feel like you have victory and you're all the time repenting. Isn't that a terrible place to be where you know the truth but you keep living in sin? You hate that. That's what this verse is talking about. You're not going to get away from the feelings of conviction and the feelings of confusion and those kind of feelings until you completely surrender your heart and your life and your body and your mind to Jesus. 
The scripture teaches us that we win, but that demands that we live a godly life that is different from this world. And I'm telling you, this world is constantly attempting to brainwash us that what is what they call is normal and acceptable is, but it's not. And as true Christians, we can't settle. We can't crawfish. The Bible that we live by is non-negotiable. What we live and preach is not our opinion. It's the word of God. So we can't say that in arrogance. If we get up and we say that in arrogance, then that's what the world looks at. And that's what they are reviled and revolt to. But when we get up and we make statements like, I love you, but this is not my opinion. They say, this is your opinion. You feel this way because that's your opinion. No, it's not because my opinion doesn't matter. This is not my opinion. This is what God said. I can't crawfish from that. I can't back away. I can't make the, take the sting out of sin for you. I can't do that. I don't have that right. I'm not getting up today and telling you what I think. This pulpit is not a place for me to spout my opinions. This is simply a place for me to stand and tell you what God said. I can't change that. You can't change that. People come to you and they say, well, that's not very nice. You need to change the way you think. You need to be more accepting. You need to, you need to be more tolerant. And you say, I love people, but I can't accept and I can't tolerate sin. It's not my decision. Hmm. If we claim to be victorious in Jesus, it's going to be clear to everybody whether, whether that's a true or a shallow statement. Because a lot of people make the claim, but they don't live the life. The scripture said that God uses us to make clear what it means to know Christ. It ought to be clear to people. I heard about a worker that went to his his boss. He was asking for a raise and he got this note back from his supervisor. How would you like to get this note? It said, because of the fluctuation predisposition of your position's productive capacity is juxtaposed to standard norms... It would be momentarily injudicious to advocate your requested increment at this time. To which the worker said to the supervisor, if that's about my pay raise, I don't get it. And the supervisor said, you're right. You don't get it. Some of you don't get it. And the world don't get it. When they see Christians that are complicating what is so simple and they complicate the way they live their lives because they look at people that call themselves Christians, yet these Christians continue to live in a way that doesn't bring glory to God. There's no fruit in their life. There's no, there's no evidence of the Holy Spirit in their life. And so they're confused. But the Word says that it should be clear. God is using us to make it clear to the world what it means to be a believer. Your life and your salvation experience ought to be clear. They ought not to have to ask you in wonderment, are you a Christian? As if if you say yes, they're going to have a hard time believing it. The next way the scripture says they're going to know this is it will be noticeable to all. Look at verses 14 through 16. I love these verses because they speak about something I've never really given much thought to. I've heard people talk about over the years, 
different situations. And I thought it was kind of kind of weird, but kind of cool. When I was a kid, I used to hear these conversations of people saying, man, that they, they had been in the presence of the Lord and they, ready for this, smelled it. Huh? Have you ever heard that? And this is the first time in Scripture that I see where maybe that comes from because in verses 14 through 16, these verses speak of a fragrance that accompany a victor in Jesus. It says it fills the air. And I, I want you to notice how this affects three different entities. The first person, to our God, to God. How does, how does this fragrance, the aroma of his believers, of his children, affect him. The scripture says this is the aroma of Christ, which means we smell really good to God if we are living a victorious life. Are you still with me? Wave at me, still with me. If you're living a victorious life, you smell really good. You don't just look good. You're not, he's not just proud of you because his kid, you're his kid. But how many of you like to be around somebody that smells good? How many like to be around somebody that stinks? I don't like to be around folks that stink. You like to be around those folks that smell good. That God actually wants to be in your presence because of the decision you have made to choose his son. An aroma has been given to your life and God likes being in your presence because you smell good to him. How about that? But that's not all. I said there was three. That's the first one. To other believers would be the second way. To other believers, we smell alike. And so we're able to identify, easily identify one another. Have you ever, have you ever, have you ever noticed, maybe you've ever been in another country where the people didn't speak your language, but you knew that they were Christians? The Bible says they'll know that we're Christians by our love. And you walk away from a setting where the people may not speak the same language, but you walk away and you say, man, I could tell they were believers. We just had, we had a spirit of discernment. We just, we just clicked. I mean, we just, I know that they're, anybody ever done that? I know they're believers. I just, why is that? The aroma is the same. You identify with each other because you smell alike. Huh. It's not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. You're identifying that person because you're like, hey, I sense the Jesus in you. You smell like me. Hmm. It's a spiritual fragrance. We belong to the same family. It's a life-giving fragrance. Roses smell like roses and pansies smell like pansies. They just smell different and you can tell what is what. To the, this third group is the world. This verse addresses them too. It says, to the world we smell like the death that they are experiencing here on this earth and the death that eternity holds for them. Now you say, I don't get that one. Hang on a minute. Well, let me just put it this way. The world doesn't like the way you smell. And that's why every time you show up, they get uncomfortable. They don't like your smell. Why? Because it reminds them of something that they don't want to do or be. Your smell brings conviction. You walk into a room and they don't say, I smell something. They say, hmm, I, I don't know how to put a word on it. I sense, I have a feeling here. 
They don't like what your life reminds them of. I'm telling you, Christianity is a deadly fragrance to them in their spirit because it reminds them of what they refuse to be a part of. So they attack the fragrance. They want that fragrance gone because it reminds them of a lifestyle that they're refusing. Your fragrance makes them angry and it just keeps coming back. And every time a victorious believer enters into a room where they are, they smell that fragrance again and it infuriates them. Have you noticed that? It makes them angry. So my advice to you would be this. Keep smelling good. Because I'm making somebody mad? No. Because you're reminding somebody of Jesus. They're not ever going to like the way you smell until they start smelling the way you smell. But until they make that decision, let's keep smelling good around them. Because it's the only hope they have of, 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 of change. It's the only hope they have of salvation. And number three, well, that, that is gonna, that's what makes you noticeable. Number three, verse 17 says, it will be pure to all. Because the verse says they're true Christians don't go around selling an impure word. In fact, just the opposite is true. We are God's spokesman on the earth speaking for him. We're, we're walking in his presence. We're speaking the pure message that comes from God. So we can't be a part of any group that's trying to water that down. It's not that we're intolerant. It's not that we're angry. It's not that we're trying to be narrow-minded. It's not that we're trying to cause problems. That's what, we're, that's what everybody's being told we're all about. We're becoming more and more ostracized. I'm telling you right now, folks, hang on with me a minute. I, I'm not always politically correct, but a lot of times I'm right. And I'm going to tell you right now, the most persecuted people on this planet are not anyone of any certain race. It's not the Native Americans, it's, it's not the Irish, it's not the, the Asians, it's not the, the blacks. They're not the most persecuted people on the planet. You know who the most persecuted people on the planet are? Christians. Just this week, four little children under the age of 15 were beheaded by ISIS terrorists simply because they would not recount their faith in Jesus. Little kids... No one in this situation in Fayetteville has had their head cut off on either side. But all across the world, other than in democratic places that are protected so far, people are dying daily just because they're Christians. No other reason, just because they're Christians. And while we lay back in pacifism, hiding in the four walls of our churches, they continue to infiltrate this country at an alarming rate, producing offspring, and someday they will outweigh your vote simply. They're not going to have to take over this country by walking around cutting your head off. They're just going to keep producing numbers so that they have votes, and someday there won't be such a thing as a Christian politician. Hardly is now. But there won't be one at all in this country because Christians will not vote in Christians. And sinners will always vote in somebody that will do what they like. The only 
Christian politicians that are being elected to office are those who are watering down their statement. They're the ones that are backing away from the real word and saying, well, okay, I guess abortion might be all right. Well, I guess it's okay to live a homosexual lifestyle and maybe we ought to protect their rights by giving them the ability to get married. Maybe, maybe it is okay. Maybe these things are okay. But we really should pay attention to the Bible when we can. And I'm saying to you guys... This is the biggest danger that I see. Some of you will walk away from here today, probably be on Facebook quoting me like happens sometimes, talking about how narrow-minded that poor preacher is down there and how dumb he is, how out of touch he is, and how he isn't, how he isn't relevant to today's culture and, and, and the, the, the climate and the way that things are. I'm telling you, I may not be relevant to today's culture because I can't be and still stay true to this word. I'm not angry at these people, but I'm sure mad at the devil because he continues to lie and they believe a lie. And the scripture said they'll believe a lie and be damned. And some of these so-called Christians that won't say anything will be sitting around with a smile on their face watching these folks fall right off into hell, but not wanting to offend them. Folks, it's going to get ugly the longer this goes. Some of our young people, some of our babies in the nursery, they're going to see a day and a time that some of us older folks, we're going to be gone. We're going to be gone out of this. But I'm telling you, they're going to face persecution in this nation like we never saw before. Just because they're Christians. It's coming. Folks are looking at me like, oh, come on, pastor. Here you go on one of your rants. I'm speaking prophetically if the church doesn't step up. If the church doesn't continue to rise up, continue to take their stand. We were not called to be pacifists. We're supposed to be involved. In, in fact, we're supposed to be the governing body on this planet. God gave that ability to Adam and we weren't supposed to give it away. His kingdom can only come to earth as it is in heaven if his kingdomites are running it. This word that we preach is pure. God demands that his people be pure. He demands that his gospel be preached in a pure fashion. It is pure. He demands purity and we don't have the right to try to take this Christianity and what Jesus died for and make it anything less than what God said it was. I don't have the right to change this message so I can be politically correct. I'm not given that authority. I speak a word that comes from God. It can't be coerced. It can't be bribed. It can't be threatened. I can't speak any other. Even if doing so were to cost us the freedom that we enjoy, the hardship that we experience, and perhaps even physical death, God's word is still pure, and we have to hold tight to it. We have to proclaim it. God does not apologize for demanding purity and holiness. And we can never take it on ourselves to try to lessen sin and the wages of sin. It's not our call. And the scripture says that anything that is in the life of the believer that can be burned is going to be burned. All the trash is going to be burned away. And the only thing that's going to be left standing is that which has been refined as gold, which is pure. The refined, the pure church is going to emerge from the purification process and we're in it right now. 
you got a decision to make. You're on the winning team, but in order to stay on that team, you better buckle it up and make a decision. Revelation talks about a church called the great whore. You say, that's a bad word, preacher. It's a, that church is a lot worse than that word. The great whore of Revelation is a conglomeration of groupings of people that call themselves churches that get together and in their political correctness, they do away with everything that is pure and true about the word. There may be little elements of truth left in it, but those churches already exist among us. Little by little, we are being pushed aside. We're considered ignorant, illiterate. We are considered the scourge that keeps this country from being able to move forward. There are groups of people out there that talk about conservatives and talk about Christians And basically, we are the scum of the earth. If all of us could be rounded up and shot, the world would be a better place, is their opinion. And from that then, as believers, if we're not careful, we start listening and saying, well, I guess we could, I guess guess if that's how it appears, I guess we could lighten up a little bit on this side. Maybe we could get a little bit nicer over here. Maybe the word, maybe the word doesn't say it like we think. Maybe we ought to back off of this a little bit. I'm telling you, folks, there's nowhere to back to. And in the word, there is not a place in old or new where that the church ever backs anywhere. But the real remnant, the real church, always just follows God right into the battle. And if we die here, we die here, but we live on forever. But we don't ever back away. We don't ever hide away. We don't ever try to crawl into a place where we're not hurt anymore. Our mission and our goal out of love, not out of anger, but just simply because we love this world is paramount. It mandates that we take our stand in love, that we don't back down. It's not about whether I'm happy or free or alive. If I lose all of those things in order to proclaim this gospel that people might know Jesus, then that's my sacrifice to make. I have no other choice. The church of God will be pure. And the world will have to acknowledge that purity. They won't like it. But they have to acknowledge it. If you enjoy victory in Jesus, you've got to accept the responsibility that comes with that victory. The victory that we celebrate in Jesus today is going to require us to be, as his church, clear and noticeable and pure. I'm going to finish with this. There's a fellow named Robert Murray McShane. He wrote to Dan Edwards, and Dan was being ordained as a missionary. And as a missionary, after his uh, ordination service, Robert wrote to Dan... And I quote, he said, in great measure, according to the purity and perfections of the instrument will be the success. It's not great talents, God blesses so much, as great likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God.
And every one of us are holy ministers and weapons in the hands of God. Don't forget that. Our, our victory in Jesus is a wonderful thing to celebrate. But listen to this statement. Listen to this statement. This victory in Jesus cost God everything. Did you hear that? This victory that we're celebrating Jesus cost God everything. And we will not cheapen it or relegate it to something less than it is by attempting to hold on to this world and be on his side at the same time. We have to consider what it means to have victory in Jesus.